Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, July 19th, 2023, the 910th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple of days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So let's begin today where we left off yesterday with Donald Trump, the two-tiered system of justice, and the arrival and Trump's announcement of this target letter. And I just want to get the text of Donald Trump's announcement down on the podcast. We did it yesterday. We're going to do it again right now, just so you don't have to look back for it, just for posterity. Here we go. This is what Donald Trump announced to the world. Wow. On Sunday night, while I was with my family, having just arrived from the Turning Point event in Florida, 
where I won the straw poll against all other Republican candidates with 85.7%, with all the polls showing me leading in the Republican primary by very substantial numbers, almost everyone predicting that I will be the Republican nominee for president. And as I am leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys. Deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ, sent a letter. Again, it was Sunday night stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. So now Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, who I turned down for the United States Supreme Court in retrospect, based on his corrupt and unethical actions, a very wise decision together with Joe Biden's Department of Injustice have effectively issued a third indictment and arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent, who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before or even close. They illegally spied on my campaign, attacked me with a totally fake dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC, impeached me twice. I won. They failed on the Mueller witch hunt. No collusion. They failed on the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. The 51 intelligence agents fraud, the FBI Twitter files, the DOJ Facebook censorship and every other scam imaginable. But on top of all of that, they have now effectively indicted me three times. The DOJ staffed and runs the DA's office in Manhattan with a probable fourth coming from Atlanta, where the DOJ are in strict and possibly illegal coordination with the district attorney, whose record on murder and other violent crime is abysmal. This witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad and dark period for our nation. Under the United States Constitution, I have the right to protest an election that I am fully convinced was rigged and stolen, just as the Democrats have done against me in 2016 and many others have done over the ages. But the Democrats have gone much farther than has ever happened before. They cheated on the elections. Rather than looking at the cheaters, the weaponized DOJ and FBI target and harass those who complain about the cheaters and the massive fraud that took place. The prosecutor involved in this case and likewise the boxes hoax, the Manhattan and Atlanta district attorneys, the New York attorney general, etc., has been overturned unanimously in the Supreme Court, headed and caused the Lois Lerner IRS scandal and failed miserably in his prosecution of John Edwards, where the case was forced to be dropped, along with numerous other catastrophes. He has a vicious but disastrous career and is a known, biased, and obsessed Trump hater, as is his family. Whether it's their failure to mention the Presidential Records Act, prosecutorial misconduct, their dominance of the Manhattan DA, including the fact that a Hillary Clinton lawyer, Mark Pomerantz, left a top Democrat firm run by Chuck Schumer's brother to join the DA's office and become a prosecutor against me and then quit against all rules, regulations and laws when the office would not prosecute. He wrongfully wrote a book while working at the office and is now under scrutiny or a perfect phone call made to many lawyers and a secretary of state 
without any protestation of my call because nothing that was said was wrong. It was clearly a complaint about an election. These are all hoaxes and scams made up to stop me from fighting for the American people, but I will never stop. This has been a never-ending fight from the day I came down the escalator in Trump Tower many years ago. So interesting that in this case, the information was delivered to me on a Sunday night, less than 24 hours after I suggested during a major speech that the federal government assume control, all in capital letters, assume control of a filthy, unsanitary, neglected, and crime-ridden Washington, D.C., where murder and violent crime are rampant and people no longer want to go to our nation's capital. And yet, that is where Biden's DOJ actually wants my trial to take place, all because they think, especially after my strong words of a federal takeover at the speech, a D.C. jury will do what they want. Very unfair. So I thought yesterday it was important to mention that in the context of the developing stories on both sides, the Trump side and the Biden side about the two tiered system of justice. But I want to spend a little more time on it today. And before we get into and before we get into the more political elements of the statement, I want to focus a bit on this last part, this last paragraph. Here it is again. So interesting that in this case, the information was delivered to me on a Sunday night less than 24 hours after I suggested during a major speech that the federal government assume control, all in capital letters, of a filthy, unsanitary, neglected, and crime-ridden Washington, D.C., where murder and violent crime are rampant and people no longer want to go to our nation's capital. And yet that is where Biden's DOJ actually wants my trial to take place, all because they think, especially after my strong words of a federal takeover at the speech, a D.C. jury will do whatever they want. Now, he has talked about a federal takeover of Washington, D.C. before. He mentioned it in his CPAC speech from back in March. And when he does that, he usually discusses that when he was in Washington, D.C. and being driven around, he would see a disgusting, dirty city. He would see homeless encampments. He would see litter all over the roads. And he said that he often instructed people to have all of that cleaned up and cleaned out. He said he wouldn't even contact the mayor because he knows it's not going to get done that way. And taken at face value, you just think, oh, well, Donald Trump is going to do the job of the mayor because as president, he has the power and authority to be able to do that. And he doesn't like to see the city in this condition. Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, should be a nice place and it deserves to be clean. Therefore, Donald Trump is going to use some of his massive power to get the streets and highways of Washington, D.C. cleaned. And he wants to break up the homeless encampments. And if you've lived in a regime run city in the last few years, you will know what he's talking about. The cities are disgusting. They are not cleaned up. There are homeless encampments everywhere. There is litter everywhere. There is crime everywhere. Shops are closing down. People are leaving the city. You see open drug use and prostitution. People are literally living outside. And the problem is awful. Somebody Definitely needs to fix that. And it doesn't seem like any of the regime mayors around the country are up to the task. In fact, there was just an article today from ABC seven 
in Los Angeles talking about a little park in Hollywood that had just become nothing but a homeless encampment. And it's been that way for years. I saw it last year. It was absolutely disgusting. Last I was there, it was disgusting when I used to live there two and a half years ago. In the article, it said neighbors are outraged and say nothing is being done about it. The encampment is outside Larchmont Charter School on Selma Avenue. It looks like a junkyard on our block, and it's just not safe. Resident Jeannie Vasquez said it's outside of a charter school, a homeless encampment, a massive homeless encampment. It is just a slum like you would see in a third world nation. And why is that? Well, it's because we're a third world nation now, at least in our cities. We have spectacular wealth situated right next to abject poverty and the middle class is vanishing. After years of this, you would think that the very, very devout liberals in Hollywood might think maybe we should vote for someone else. Maybe we should even vote for a slightly less communist communist. Let's call him a conservative Democrat. That'll seem edgy. That'll seem like we're really educating ourselves, but still remaining committed to our liberal social values. And they did that last election cycle. They voted for a Democrat named Rick Caruso, who then lost to a Democrat named Karen Bass. Weeks later, they just rigged the election and handed it to an open and devout communist. And everybody there just simply accepted it. Because what's your choice? Admitting that elections are stolen? Well, that's just one step away from admitting that Donald Trump actually won. And yeah, everybody knows it and everybody says it all the time, but we can't admit it because if we admit it, then it becomes real. And then we have to deal with the moral guilt of everything we said and did and the way we treated people. So they simply ignore it because they don't want to live with that sort of guilt and that sort of shame. They would rather pretend to care about children and homeless people while they are just squished together. Homeless encampment, school, right together. Well, we can't change that, so I guess we'd better teach these seven-year-olds what those gender-bending junkies are doing. But hey, you know how it is in these commie cities, homelessness. Now, you can take Donald Trump's comments at face value and assume that's what he means. He's just trying as president to deal with the homeless problem and the litter problem and the crime problem in Washington, D.C. because he knows the mayor won't do it. But is that what he means by federal takeover of Washington, D.C.? And if that is what he means, why would that have upset the regime so very much that they would want to indict him once again, because that is what he's saying. He's saying my comments about the federal takeover of Washington, D.C. seem to be one solid kick at that hornet's nest. That's how they're reacting. At least they're very upset. What could it be? And then you get to thinking, what is different about Washington, D.C.? And there are some things that are different about Washington, D.C. One of them is that it's not really the United States. It's kind of its own foreign city state, ostensibly under the control of the Congress, but also kind of just under the control of that foreign regime. In fact, Nancy Pelosi was just on MSNBC and on the Chiron, they labeled Nancy Pelosi Speaker Emerita, which is like the feminized version of Emeritus, 
which is the title given to someone of distinction who has retired. It basically says they are still this person, despite the fact that the formal title is no longer held by them. They're kind of saying Nancy is in control of the whole House of Representatives, despite the fact that that's Kevin McCarthy now, or at least it's supposed to be. And of course, you remember Nancy traveling to Taiwan and Nancy traveling to meet the Pope, Nancy traveling to meet Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor in Ukraine, just conducting American foreign affairs around the world, you know, like any member of Congress. But what's different about Washington, D.C.? Why isn't Donald Trump saying that he's going to have the federal government take over all of these cities to clean them up? They're certainly all having these problems. So let's take a second and talk a bit about Washington, D.C. This is from the Wikipedia article on Washington, D.C., the official information of the regime. Wikipedia is where you can go to get what you're allowed to know about the central narrative. You want other central narrative facts? Go to Wikipedia. Is it going to give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, of course not. But you can at least get the full side of the story from them to the extent that you're allowed to know it. The U.S. Constitution provides for a federal district under the exclusive jurisdiction of the U.S. Congress. Washington, D.C. is not part of any U.S. state and is not one itself. The Residence Act, adopted on July 16, 1790, approved the creation of the Capital District along the Potomac River. The city was founded in 1791, and Congress held its first session there in 1800. The city originally had smaller boundaries than it does now, and was intended to be separate from the District of Columbia while still being within it. The Residence Act, and we have a resident there right now. Is Joe Biden a legitimate president? No, of course not. And he never will be. But he is the resident. He is the resident. The city hosts all three branches of the U.S. government, Congress, the president and the Supreme Court and the governmental buildings that house most of the federal government, including the White House, the Capitol, the Supreme Court building and multiple federal departments and agencies. The city is home to many national monuments and museums located primarily on or around the National Mall, including the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial, and the Washington Monument, you know, the obelisk. The city hosts 177 foreign embassies and serves as the headquarters for the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the Organization of American States, and other international organizations. Many of the nation's largest industry associations, nonprofit organizations, and think tanks are based in the city, including AARP, the American Red Cross, the Atlantic Council, Brookings Institution, National Geographic Society, the Heritage Foundation, Wilson Center, and others. A locally elected mayor and 13-member council have governed the district since 1973, though Congress is empowered to overturn local laws. Washington, D.C. residents are, on a federal level, politically disenfranchised since the city's residents do not have voting representation in Congress, although the city's residents elect an at-large congressional delegate to the U.S. House of Representatives who has no voting authority. The city's voters choose three presidential electors in accordance with the 23rd Amendment. 
Washington, D.C. has been a member state of the Unrepresented Nations and Peoples Organization since 2015. So it is separate and distinct from the United States. They have their own government that can always be overruled by Congress. And Washington has three electoral votes that are just never, ever discussed anywhere, ever. The same amount as Alaska, Delaware, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming. And only one fewer than Hawaii, Idaho, Maine, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island, who all have four electoral college votes. So little Washington, D.C., not officially part of the country, gets three electoral college votes according to the 23rd Amendment. Wikipedia's entry for the 23rd Amendment says it extends the right to participate in presidential elections to the District of Columbia. The amendment grants to the district electors in the Electoral College as though it were a state though the district can never have more electors than the least populous state. And how about this little note? As early as 1888, some journalists and members of Congress favored a constitutional amendment to grant the district electoral votes. Still, such an amendment did not win widespread support until the rise of the civil rights movement in the 1950s. Isn't that incredible? Just create some racial tension, get some rioting and some protests out there, maybe a few political assassinations, and then we can get electoral college votes for Washington, D.C. The Washington, D.C. entry says after the assassination of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. on April 4th, 1968, riots broke out in the district, primarily in the U Street, 14th Street, 7th Street and H Street corridors which were predominantly black residential and commercial areas. The riots raged for three days until more than 13,600 federal troops and Washington, D.C. Army National Guardsmen stopped the violence. Many stores and other buildings were burned and rebuilding from the riots was not completed until the late 1990s. And you'll remember that in 2020, Donald Trump was called an authoritarian dictator who wanted to violently take over the nation and obviously was racist for suggesting the Insurrection Act in the midst of riots in D.C. and attacks on the White House and the burning of the historic St. John's Church. But apparently Donald Trump was going to do it in the bad way. The entry goes on. In 1973, Congress enacted the District of Columbia Home Rule Act providing for an elected mayor and 13-member council for the district. Under the Home Rule Act, Congress reviews all legislation passed by the council they've set up before it can become law and retains authority over the district's budget. Also, the president appoints the district's judges, and the district still has no voting representation in Congress. Because of these and other limitations on local government, many citizens of the district continue to lobby for greater autonomy, such as complete statehood. Isn't that amazing? The president appoints the district's judges. And that's exactly what Donald Trump was talking about. The Home Rule Act also sets the limits around what that local D.C. government is then able to do and what it's prohibited from doing. 
But there's another entry on Washington, D.C. in Wikipedia. This one is just under District of Columbia and then in parentheses until 1871. It says the District of Columbia was created in 1801 as the Federal District of the United States, with territory previously held by the states of Maryland and Virginia, ceded to the federal government of the United States for the purpose of creating its federal district, which would encompass the new national capital of the United States, the city of Washington. The district came into existence with its own judges and marshals through the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1801. Previously, it was the Territory of Columbia. According to the specific language in the U.S. Constitution, it was 100 square miles. It says the district was governed directly by the U.S. Congress from the beginning. Alexandria City and County were ceded back from the federal government to the Commonwealth of Virginia in 1846 in a process known as retrocession, anticipating the 1850 ban on slave trading, but not slavery, in the district. Washington and Georgetown retained their separate charters for 70 years until the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1871. That act canceled the charters of the towns and brought the entire area within the district borders under one district government, ending any distinction between the District of Columbia and Washington, making the two terms effectively synonymous. It goes on about the Organic Act of 1871. The District of Columbia Organic Act of 1871 created a single new district corporation, governing the entire federal territory called the District of Columbia, thus dissolving the three major political subdivisions of the district, the Port of Georgetown, the City of Washington, and Washington County, and their governments. Now, under the entry for the Organic Act of 1871, there is a section called Conspiracy Theories. The act is the basis of several claims held by the sovereign citizen movement. According to these, the act made the district and consequently the whole United States into a business corporation. These claims stem from the term municipal corporation used in the act. There are many kinds of corporations. A corporation is any group authorized to legally act as a single entity. In this case, an incorporated organized district of the United States. Most U.S. cities and counties are municipal corporations. This was later used by QAnon supporters to falsely claim that former President Donald Trump would be sworn in as the 19th president of the original United States on March 4th, 2021. This date corresponds to the original presidential inauguration date because they claimed the 20th Amendment was invalid as it was not passed by the original United States. Now, the idea behind this conspiracy theory was that at this point, after the end of the Civil War, during the Reconstruction period, the United States had run out of money and at this point essentially sold part of itself back to the British crown. This is the Treaty of Washington, 1871 entry in Wikipedia. The Treaty of Washington was a treaty signed and ratified by the United Kingdom and the United States in 1871 during the first premiership of William Gladstone and the presidency of Ulysses S. Grant. 
The full title of the treaty is Treaty Between Her Majesty and the United States of America for the Amicable Settlement of All Causes of Difference Between the Two Countries. In parentheses, Alabama claims, fisheries, claims of corporations, companies or private individuals, navigation of rivers and lakes, San Juan water boundary, and rules defining duties of a neutral government during war. So how nice we have that sort of treaty with the UK. We are told the act ended the disputes and led to a treaty that restored friendly relations between Britain and the United States. This was a result of international arbitration, and it established a precedent and the case aroused interest in codifying public international law. Isn't that incredible? We had the United States, our independent nation that men fought and died for, our U.S. Constitution, this is our country, a sovereign nation for sovereign individuals that intends to preserve the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and our natural rights, our God-given rights as enumerated in the Bill of Rights in our Constitution. And now we have agreed to a treaty with our former colonial lords to participate in and abide by international law. The scholar on international law, John Bassett Moore, called this treaty, quote, the greatest treaty of actual and immediate arbitration the world has ever seen, end quote. The entry concludes, the Treaty of Washington had a significant effect on the Americans' long-term relationship with Canada and Britain. Since the Rush-Bagot Treaty demilitarized the Canada-U.S. border, the resolution of outstanding issues via the Treaty of Washington and the industrialization of the Great Lakes region, the risk of war between the United States and the United Kingdom became highly unlikely and was never seriously considered by either side again. The United States government mostly ceased official talk of annexing Canada, though Canadians occasionally entertained the idea. The treaty laid the foundation for the great rapprochement, the convergence of interests between the United Kingdom and the United States. So we broke up in 1776 and then in 1871, that whole time frame, we got right back together. And because the Civil War that was fought only over slavery and absolutely nothing else whatsoever absolutely destroyed our nation and left us broke, we needed to return to the central banks again as well. And over time, our government, infiltrated by traitors, anti-Americans, globalists, supporters of the global regime and the British crown, sold our country back to the international order. And now we follow rules and regulations of the UN. And the illegitimate regime currently in place is trying to bring us under the control of the WHO. We're going to allow our country to be run by the same sociopaths who did the whole very deadly pandemic thing. And we're told all of this is very good, of course, because we are meant to be global citizens. We call ourselves global citizens. That means that we care about poor people in Africa. We care about all the world's problems enough to hand all of our power and control and wealth over to these global enterprises because they say they're going to fix everything for us. They just can't do it yet because we haven't given them enough. 
wealth and power and control. And hey, I know that all of this is a conspiracy theory. Wikipedia just said it was a conspiracy theory, but you've got to admit there is a strange fact pattern here. Now, Washington, D.C. isn't the only global city state out there. The Vatican is one. The city of London is one. But that, too, is a conspiracy theory. Lead stories funded by the CCP, Facebook's main fact checker, did a fact check on some of this May 24th, 2022 fact check. The city of London, the Vatican and Washington, D.C. are not in capital letters, all sovereign states. Are the city of London, the Vatican and Washington, D.C. all sovereign states? No, that's not true. While the Vatican city state is, the city of London and Washington, D.C. are not. The claim appeared in a Facebook post that says everything we know is a lie. So one of the cities is a city state, the Vatican, for sure. Even lead stories agrees on that. But we got to get their fact checks on the other two. Now, first, they note that according to encyclopedia.com, sovereignty refers to the supreme and ultimate source of authority that exists within any political unit or association. A sovereign power is deemed independent of all other authorities, and it possesses no rivals within its jurisdiction. So if you think about the Vatican being sovereign, that means the Vatican governs the Vatican. And the Pope being the leader of the Vatican is the ultimate authority within the Vatican, this sovereign city state in the middle of Italy. And by the definition of sovereignty given by Encyclopedia.com, you actually have to wonder how sovereign Italy is since they have to constantly do business with the Vatican, which is kind of in Italy's jurisdiction, except that it's not. You get it? It's totally separate. Therefore, Italy is sovereign and the Vatican is sovereign. And while the Vatican might have power over Italy and the Italian government every now and then, Italy's still totally sovereign, just like the United States is, regardless of Washington, D.C.'s actual status. And their actual status is nothing to worry about. If you worry about their actual status, then you're a conspiracy theorist. Don't you get it? The rest of the country is sovereign. And Washington, D.C. is totally part of the rest of the country, even despite all that other stuff that suggests it kind of isn't. The lead story's fact check says Vatican City is the smallest country in the world and is considered sovereign territory. The Holy See, which operates from there, is the universal government of the Catholic Church. It mints its own euros, prints its own postage stamps, and has its own passports. It has its own flag and anthem, but does not tax its very small population. According to the editors of Encyclopedia Britannica, its modern-day status was established by the Lateran Treaty, also called the Lateran Pact of 1929, a treaty between Italy and the Vatican. It was signed by Benito Mussolini for the Italian government and by Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Gaspari for the papacy and confirmed by the Italian Constitution of 1948. So just fascists making deals, the fascist leader of Italy making a deal with the Pope in the 1930s and 40s. I mean, what? <laughs> Does that sound like weird or something? The Pope working with a fascist government like during World War II? What? It's not weird. What are you, some kind of conspiracy theorist? The fact check says Washington, D.C. is not a sovereign state. In fact, 
It's not a state at all. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Ah, you're using state in both senses and conflating them into the same sense in hopes that the child brains who read lead stories fact checks would never notice. So it's not a state at all. It's a district. D.C. stands for the District of Columbia. According to History.com, that authoritative source, the U.S. Congress declared Washington to be the U.S. Capitol on July 16, 1790. Well, that's got nothing to do with it. It was named after the first president, George Washington. Well, that's got nothing to do with it. The U.S. Constitution mapped out a district not exceeding 10 miles square that was carved from Virginia and Maryland. That's got nothing to do with it. D.C. residents do not send elected representatives to Congress. Well, that does have something to do with it, but that actually makes it sound like D.C. is not part of the United States. That's strange. However, in recent years, there has been a movement to grant D.C. statehood that would require legislation through the House of Representatives, the Senate, and to be signed by the president. So their fact check about Washington, D.C. being a sovereign city-state consists of one fact that makes it sound distinct and strange and zero other facts that have to do with its status potentially as a sovereign city-state. They basically just said, no, it's not. And again, they are specifically answering whether or not it is a sovereign state, which does not preclude the possibility that it is a distinct city-state governed and controlled by a global or foreign entity. It's only claiming that Washington, D.C. isn't a country unto itself the way the Vatican is. Going on. The city of London is not a sovereign state either. It's a small part of London, the capital of the United Kingdom, also referred to as the square mile and has its own interesting history, which the lead stories fact checker quotes in the article making sure to note that everyone understands the city of London played an active role in the events that led to the Magna Carta's creation in 1215. And the mayor, later known as the Lord Mayor, was appointed along with the barons to see that its provisions were carried out. London was also the only city specifically named in the document. So once again, the fact check is, nah, no, it isn't. And very little else except for something that suggests that, yes, it is. Because here's what that fact check links to. A website called Magna Carta 800th, 800th. The city of London played an active role in the events that led to Magna Carta's creation in 1215, and the mayor, later known as the Lord Mayor, was appointed, along with the barons, to see that its provisions were carried out. London was also the only city specifically named in the document. In the clause that stated that, quote, the city of London shall have all its ancient liberties by land as well as by water. The grant requires the mayor to be presented to the sovereign for approval and to take an oath to be faithful. The sovereign being the king or the ruler. These provisions have been respected ever since and still govern the annual election and swearing in of the Lord Mayor. The City of London Corporations 1297 Magna Carta includes Edward I's seal and the original writ directed to the sheriffs of London, ordering that the charter be promulgated within the city. The charter was confirmed in Parliament, which gave the document statutory force. 
And you can go on and on through this subject. It is spectacularly interesting because it becomes pretty quickly clear that the way we are told things are in the world is not the way they actually are. From the City of London's entry in Wikipedia. It is administered by the City of London Corporation, headed by the Lord Mayor of London, not to be confused with the separate Mayor of London, an office created only in the year 2000, which is responsible for a number of functions and has interests in land beyond the city's boundaries. Unlike other English local authorities, the corporation has two council bodies, now the largely ceremonial Court of Aldermen and the Court of Common Council. The Court of Aldermen represents the wards with each ward, irrespective of size, returning one alderman. The chief executive of the corporation holds the ancient office of Town Clerk of London. And of course, all of this is called ceremonial, the same way we are told that the British royalty is ceremonial. They don't actually run the government. It's more of a ceremonial role. It's just a respect of history and tradition. They don't have real formal power per se. We have the parliament for that, except it's also true that the queen of England or now the king of England has final say over who the prime minister is. And that's not only true in England, it's true of all the Commonwealth countries and Canada. It turns out is part of the Commonwealth. I know they're very, very independent. And Canada totally votes for their prime minister, just like they do in Britain. But it also just so happens that the crown gets to decide at the end of the day. And thank goodness we have the Treaty of Washington to be able to sort those things out between Canada and the United States on behalf of Britain. Now, there's an astounding amount of independent work on this topic. But this is one of those subjects that's like a maze to research because you can never get the whole story at one time, probably because the whole story is very inconvenient for the regime. And if you think about these three primary city states, the Vatican, kind of the religious center of the empire, the city of London being the banking center, and then Washington, D.C. basically being the military center, the world's police. We have heard that countless times before. Why is the United States military the police force of the world? Who is being continually served by that? Steve Bannon often refers to Washington, D.C. as the imperial capital, which means the capital of the global empire. There is a reason it's referred to that way. And there are other purported, quote unquote, city states around the world. And by some tellings, these include the United Nations Center in the city of New York, CERN, Geneva, which is the European capital of all of these global organizations from the World Economic Forum to the UN to the WHO, and then other cities like Moscow, Monaco, and Singapore. Now, Donald Trump, in his inaugural address, said that he was returning this nation to the people. He wanted to take back the nation from the global regime and hand it back to the people. What did he mean by that? Well, I would suggest that what he means between that and draining the swamp and the rest of his agenda is removing that global occupation from Washington, D.C. forever. And to the extent that Donald Trump is tasked with returning America to its status as the original constitutional republic it was founded to be, 
then cleaning out the D.C. swamp is something much bigger than just exposing all the corrupt politicians and lobbyists and bureaucrats and getting rid of them. What he's aiming for is the restoration of the constitutional republic so the people can once again have a say. All we have to understand is that our system of government is yet one more thing about which we were lied to. And we begin to realize that in a very, very real sense, we are subjects of the global regime being governed as subjects of the global regime. So what does it mean when Donald Trump says that he wants a federal takeover of Washington, D.C. multiple times and that him simply saying that would cause the regime to absolutely lose its collective mind and try again and again and again to indict him and imprison him. Now, consider what he did in this statement. He's announcing a potential indictment of himself, a potential indictment of Donald Trump announced by Donald Trump. Everyone is going to read at least pieces of this statement. And he knows there's a chance that many people might read the entire statement and report on different parts of it. And any parts that are reported on that happen to break into the central narrative are little pieces of information that Donald Trump is able to take out and spread far and wide because the underlying substance of what he's talking about is viral news. This is the sort of thing that Donald Trump can simply put this statement out and it becomes the most important news story in the country immediately. The mainstream media didn't generate and start this narrative. Donald Trump did. They weren't prepared to deal with that sort of thing. They're used to getting tipped off by insiders and being able to set the narrative on any subject, particularly a major news topic like Donald Trump, the former president, facing another indictment, this time about the very violent insurrection. And what amazing timing, because we're getting all sorts of new video and news stories this week about the very violent insurrection. Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund was just on Lou Dobbs's podcast yesterday. I would recommend that to absolutely everyone. If you put it on at 1.25 speed or 1.5, you can blaze through it in 25 minutes or a half an hour. The information is rather astounding. But we're getting J6 News and brand new J6 video footage as Trump is announcing that he might be indicted over issues stemming from J6. It is an absolutely perfect storm of a narrative that the regime and its media are entirely unprepared to handle. This is The Guardian from yesterday. It's unclear what the specific charges could be, but the letter gives Trump until Thursday to exercise his option to appear before a grand jury in Washington. People who receive target letters from federal authorities are often, but not always, indicted. They are also usually advised by their attorneys to not take up invitations to meet with the grand jury because any statements provided in that setting could be used to help build a case against them in the event that they're charged. The letter was, Trump insisted, horrifying news for the country, which he also claimed was an attempt by Biden to arrest, quote, his number one political opponent. So Trump gets a target letter. It tells him he has four days to appear before this federal grand jury if he wants, but that could be seen as a trap in some sense. He's probably not going to do that, but who knows? 
Either way, there is a strong indication that if he's gotten this target letter, he will be indicted and he says he's gotten it from his lawyer. Now, in his statement, let's consider how many different narrative elements he was able to insert into this assuredly viral piece of content. He inserts his poll numbers, including his straw poll numbers from the Turning Point Conference. He's not just in a commanding lead for the Republican nomination. He's in a commanding lead in the polls over Joe Biden. He talks about Jack Smith, of course. He talks about the corruption of Merrick Garland. He calls Biden's Department of Justice, the Department of Injustice, talks about arresting the number one political opponent. He talks about spying on the campaign, the Steele dossier funded by Clinton and the DNC, the impeachment hoaxes, the Mueller witch hunt, Russia, 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 the 51 intelligence agents, the Twitter files and the censorship, the DOJ Facebook censorship, the entire list of scams. He talks about the collusion between the Department of Justice and various legal officials around the country, DAs, attorneys general, and he calls all of this election interference. He talks about the weaponization of government. He talks about Jack Smith's past and former corruption. He talks about prosecutorial misconduct, trying him under the Espionage Act while failing to even acknowledge the Presidential Records Act that allows Donald Trump to take whatever documents, declassify them as the primary classification authority in the country, the plenary authority. He does not have to answer to anyone about classifications. So he declassifies documents. He takes them with him. He is allowed to do that. He does not answer to the National Archives, but they don't mention it. He writes, he goes on about DOJ abuses and improprieties of the get Trump effort. And then he talks about the federal takeover of Washington, D.C. All of that packed in to this one little statement that he knows he can get countless eyeballs on because he's announcing his own indictment. And as we've talked about many times, Kyle, just human, prepared his theory of templates last year in the days after the Mar-a-Lago raid. He said, this is a template for future action. We will see this sort of thing over and over again, first against Trump. And then ultimately, this will be turned around and it will look the same when we begin to prosecute the corrupt members of the deep state and this corrupt communist global regime. And he and others have pointed out consistently over the last nearly year since that has happened, that Trump has consistently been in the position to be the one announcing each and every one of these efforts. Trump announces these things before the media begins to cover them. That means that Trump gets to set the narrative and the narratives Trump setting generally include a bunch of information that the truth community, MAGA, America first, that people have already researched and already understand so that when Trump launches this narrative deployment, as my good friend Burning Bright calls it, all of the fortification for that deployment is already set up and prepared to go into action immediately. And that's what it continues to do each and every time. This is fifth generational information warfare. It is a battle of stories and narratives. And there is one side prepared to consistently win because that side actually possesses the truth about these issues and the research to support their positions. That side, by the way, if you can't tell, is us. When Trump does this, he forces the media to react. 
they have to play the game on the terms set by Trump. Whereas in the past, the media would come out with some story, some hit piece. It would catch the target of that story totally by surprise. And the media would be way out ahead of that story before the target of that story even knows what's going on. That situation has been completely reversed. And because you can see that fact alone, you should know where we stand in terms of the info war. People believe that it's not possible we are winning this whole thing because they haven't yet been told that everything is all better. Everything is fixed. I mean, Trump's not in the White House. Joe Biden really is president. And that means everything's falling apart. But if everything's falling apart, how are we able to control narratives? How is Donald Trump himself, with our support more accurately, able to control narratives? That should never happen. Let's listen to Morning Mika's reaction to the Target letter. This is from this morning, though the Target letter news came yesterday. Two sources confirmed to NBC News that former President Donald Trump received a letter from special counsel Jack Smith this week informing him that he is the target of a federal investigation into efforts to overturn the legitimate results of the 2020 election. Those efforts include, but are not limited to, the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Although a target letter does not definitively mean a person will be charged, in most cases, it is a precursor to an indictment. So they don't really know what's happening, but they're going to tell everyone that this is super significant. A target letter doesn't always mean an indictment's coming, but it's probably coming. I mean, Trump said his lawyers received a target letter and Trump is always telling the truth about everything, according to MSNBC. So you got to believe that that's definitely true, which means there's a strong chance Trump's going to be indicted. Now, none of them have any idea what the charges are, but it's apparently related to January 6th somehow. And we know that despite nearly everything the regime reported about that event is completely and totally false, Donald Trump still organized and plotted, conspired to cause a very violent insurrection. And so that fact alone means that he must be guilty and therefore must be about to be charged with a major crime. I mean, remember when we found out that Donald Trump in the presidential limo was diving over the seats, grabbing at the driver, saying, turn this thing around. We have an insurrection to attend. Cassidy Hutchinson, hand me my sword and my megaphone. I must meet my people on the field of battle. Except he didn't do any of that. He went and sent a video on Twitter asking people to go home peacefully to respect the rule of law because we care about law and order. He doesn't want anybody to get hurt. He wants people to be respectful to law enforcement. And then that video got taken down by the social media platforms. And because it got taken down, no one really saw it. And because no one really saw it, you can accuse Donald Trump of plotting a coup, even though he had prepared and authorized 10 to 20,000 National Guard troops to be present on the mall to make sure that nothing bad happened, but was turned down by the people who, wait a second, let me just make sure I have this straight, right? He was turned down by, by Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., and Nancy Pelosi, the 
Speaker Emerita, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. So the people who run Washington, D.C. said that for optical reasons, they did not want the National Guard there on January 6th. Now, if the National Guard had been there on January 6th, they couldn't have had this very violent insurrection. But Trump's offer and authorization of National Guard troops was declined by Nancy Pelosi and Muriel Bowser, the people who run that little territory known as Washington, D.C. And because of all that, Trump is very, very guilty for conspiring to stage a very violent insurrection in order to overthrow our government based on the big lie that the 2020 election was rigged and stolen. When everybody knows that Joe Biden absolutely received 81 million real lawful American votes. So Mika and friends have no idea what to do with this. They have to cover the story about the target letter and they have to tell everybody what a target letter means. So now that's in the public consciousness. Hey, what is a target letter from the DOJ? What does that mean? Well, that means you are invited to go sit in front of a grand jury and answer questions, provide your side of the case if you want, though it can be used against you in advance of a pending and likely indictment. So good. Everybody knows what that is now, just in case we hear about a target letter again in the future in an issue that might be unrelated to Donald Trump. Now, do I know there will be one of those? Of course not. I can't know that. But if you're understanding the patterns that are emerging, then it is very likely we will see one of those just used against someone else. But regardless of whether that reality comes into being, we have this reality right now. And Donald Trump has once again announced the next step in the get Trump effort. Rather than the media telling us constantly that the walls are closing in, now Donald Trump himself is telling us that the walls are closing in. It's almost like Donald Trump is working in his former life as a man who creates buildings and he is just remodeling a building this time because he thinks that the room around him is too big. He wants to bring those walls much closer to himself, thereby shrinking the room to a more appropriate size, according to the architects. The walls will just continue closing in and in and in and in and in until they move back out, 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 like they always seem to. It's almost like a lung made of walls around Donald Trump, and that lung is breathing. The walls close in, the walls push back out. The walls close in, the walls push back out. And it just keeps happening and keeps happening. Donald Trump always setting the terms on which it happens. It used to be the other way around. Now it's not. Now Donald Trump announces his own legal troubles. And to be honest, I'm starting to get worried about the mental state of all of the uniparty villagers out there who've been waiting to see Donald Trump imprisoned for the last eight years. They've been begging for it. They just need that silver bullet that's finally going to eliminate Donald Trump, or they need the walls to totally close in on and around Donald Trump so that they know it's real and that he can't get out. Donald Trump is the threat. Donald Trump is the enemy. He must be neutralized and removed. And for eight years, they have probably heard 
hundreds of stories by now that made them think the walls have finally closed in around the bad orange man, except they haven't. And now Donald Trump is telling them over and over again, hey, guys, (laughs) you know, those walls closing in again. How do you feel about that? You're excited. (laughs) Well, that's great. And then two weeks pass and four weeks pass and two months pass and four months pass and a year passes and nothing happens except for over the course of that year, while they think the walls have closed in and then realize eventually that those walls in particular are not closing in. Donald Trump just announces an entirely new set of walls ready to close in. And he says, hey, commies, you know, those walls you've been waiting to close in. Well, it turns out I'm in an entirely different room, but these walls are closing in. Come look, come see. I invite you to be present and behold the closing in of walls. And they get excited and they get excited and they get excited and then they get disappointed and disappointed and disappointed. And at some point, even the child brainiest of child brains must eventually realize that Donald Trump is becoming the boy who cried indictment. Donald Trump is becoming the boy who cried, you got me. And it turns out just like in the old fable that no, you don't got him. What must that do to our poor, poor child-brained villager friends. Well, that must absolutely destroy these people emotionally. What else could it do to them? They are beginning to think on their own with no help from us whatsoever that, man, these indictments must be totally fake. I mean, we've been told for years that this man was going to be indicted and arrested and going to go to prison. And now he's been indicted, quote unquote, and arrested, quote unquote, And absolutely nothing has happened to this guy. And the cases, I mean, honestly, nobody even talks about the cases anymore. They're not talking about the motion in the cases. They're not talking about the facts of the cases. They're not teaching us how this is going to go down and how Trump is definitely going to be convicted and then go off to prison where he can never be elected ever, ever again. He just keeps making us think he's going to be. And then it doesn't happen. It's so unfair. What is he doing? And it really is a hilarious effect, at least in my mind. It's the reversal of the boy who cried wolf. Donald Trump is making these claims over and over and over again until the claims mean absolutely nothing. And what is that going to do in these people's minds? Eventually, they're going to have to realize that there's absolutely nothing there. They explained it to us yesterday by saying Jack Smith was so confident that he would go to Subway and carry around a $5 foot long. That is the response to Donald Trump announcing his own target letter. Yes, sure. It might sound like Donald Trump is in control of this whole situation because he's generating and controlling every narrative about the situation. But look at Jack Smith. He's getting a $5 foot long at Subway. Doesn't that put your mind at ease, children? This is just rampant derangement. And these aren't the only current legal stories going on. We talked last week about how there were these election law stories coming up. These potential prosecutions around the country for election violations on the side, trying to prove that the elections are in fact stolen and how by pursuing these purported crimes, they were proving once again to all of the child brains out there, 
Not only were the elections not stolen, they are so not stolen that we actively need to punish all the people saying that they are. Here is Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel yesterday. As part of the orchestrated plan, we allege that 16 Michigan residents met covertly in the basement of Michigan GOP headquarters and knowingly and of their own volition signed their names to multiple certificates stating that they were the duly elected and qualified electors for president and vice president of the United States of America for the state of Michigan. That was a lie. They weren't the duly elected and qualified electors and each of the defendants knew it. They carried out these actions with the hope and belief that the electoral votes of Michigan's 2020 election would be awarded to the candidate of their choosing instead of the candidate that Michigan voters actually chose. They met covertly in the basement of the GOP headquarters. You know, the place where they meet at the GOP headquarters. But it was in the basement. It was a secret. It was covert. And they signed their names that they were the proper electors from Michigan, not the electors who went and appeared for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the result of obvious and overwhelming fraud. There were massive issues in Michigan, not the least of which was all those vans pulling in with all those votes in the middle of the night. NBC News in an article with the headline, Michigan Attorney General charges false electors over efforts to overturn the 2020 election, reports Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel announced Tuesday that she has filed charges against 16 people who signed paperwork falsely claiming that President Donald Trump had won the 2020 election as part of a scheme to overturn the results. Presidents are technically voted in by slates of electors from each state who cast their votes for the candidates selected by their state's popular votes. In December 2020, as Trump tried to overturn the results of the election, his allies readied alternative slates of electors in several states. They appear to be the first charges filed against fake electors. But they're not fake electors. They are alternate electors, and they were put there in the event that the legal remedies would work. Michigan's elections, like the elections of many other states, were totally uncertifiable. Skipping down, it says Nestle said the false electors are being charged with eight felony counts each, including forgery. The false electors actions undermine the public's faith in the integrity of our elections and not only violated the spirit of the laws enshrining and defending our democracy, but we believe also plainly violated the laws by which we administer our elections in Michigan and peaceably transfer power in America, she said. And that statement does not exactly ring with confidence. These 16 people include former state GOP co-chair Michonne Maddock and state Republican National Committee woman Kathy Burden. Michelle Lundgren, who was also charged, has told NBC affiliate WDIV of Detroit that she thought she was signing an attendance sheet for a meeting. I didn't even know what an elector was, let alone a fake elector, she told the station. And so that is very strange, and we might find out all sorts of strange things about this case, but the way it looks right now is that a corrupt Soros attorney general is going after 16 citizens in Michigan who were trying to do whatever they thought was their duty 
in preserving the United States of America rather than just letting it fall to a fake usurper, illegitimate president. Now, assuming there's not some major curveball in here about these 16 electors, the noteworthy thing here is that Dana Nessel, who herself is almost definitely illegitimate and a beneficiary of the same fraudulent election system, is doing exactly the sort of thing you would do if you were a corrupt and compromised political criminal. It's amazing that the country at large does not see these efforts as obvious proof that the elections are stolen. If the elections were not stolen, they could simply allow the public to check. They could allow for transparency so that integrity could be ensured. And instead, what we see them doing is attempting to arrest all the people who disagree with their assertion that Joe Biden did, in fact, get 81 million real lawful American votes and that the elections within the states were similarly perfect. So while Donald Trump is announcing his own indictments and setting the narrative, we have a George Soros attorney general trying to prosecute American citizens who did not want to see an illegitimate president in the White House. An effort to reconfirm that there is absolutely no way that Donald Trump won in 2020, even though everybody knows that he did. An effort that absolutely smacks of panic on the part of the regime. We've talked about the failure of all the regime's Republican alternatives within this primary process to whatever extent that process is real. Failing in their quest to take Donald Trump out of the picture. And then we have this from the Hill on Monday. GOP senators rattled by radical conservative populism. Republican senators say they're worried that conservative populism, though always a part of the GOP, is beginning to take over the party, becoming more radical and threatening to cause them significant political problems heading into the 2024 election. GOP senators are saying they're being increasingly confronted by constituents who buy into discredited conspiracy theories, such as the claim that Democrats stole the 2020 presidential election or that federal agents incited the January 6th, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Growing distrust with government institutions from the FBI, CIA, Department of Justice to the Centers for Disease Control and National Institutes of Health make it more difficult for Republican lawmakers to govern. So all of the biggest rhinos are very upset that their constituents are asking them, hey, guys, why aren't you doing anything about these obvious problems? The usurpation of the country, this American Reichstag fire that was used as a justification to imprison and censor the political opponents of the regime. Why aren't you doing anything about a weaponized DOJ and federal law enforcement and our intelligence community spying on the citizens, spying on a sitting president? Why aren't you doing anything about our public health institutions that quite clearly failed completely during a pandemic of their own making that they lied about? And those good old rhinos, they don't want to hear questions like this. They can't deal with questions like this. They are angry that their constituents are asking them these questions because it's making it difficult for them to govern in that wonderful district of Columbia. 
American citizens are making it hard for these senators to do the business they're tasked with doing in the District of Columbia by whoever (laughs) rules that district right now. And that's strange, you know, because we're told that all of these people get into government so that they can represent the citizens of the state that sent them to Washington. But it's like they see their role as just being there to do what they're supposed to for the regime. The citizens of the state are just there to justify their power. It would be weird if they just made all these decisions on their own without the will and consent of the governed, the citizens of their states. And we'll get right back to that in just a second. But here's what Lisa Murkowski has to say. And remember, Lisa Murkowski was reelected last year after Alaska installed a ranked choice voting system that allowed Murkowski to get rid of Kelly Shabaka, who would have won otherwise. And even that statement assumes that our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. And of course, they're not. But Murkowski said this. We should be concerned about this as Republicans. I'm having more rational Republicans coming up to me and saying, I just don't know how long I can stay in this party. Now our party is becoming known as a group of kind of extremist, populist, over-the-top people where no one is taking us seriously anymore. You have people who felt some allegiance to the party that are now really questioning, why am I in the party, she added. I think it's going to get even more interesting as we move closer to the elections and we start going through some of these primary debates. Is it going to be a situation of who can be more outlandish than the other? And that is Lisa Murkowski speaking for the party of false decorum. Other members of the party of false decorum come up and ask her, what's with all these extremists and populists? I liked being a person that has a little R next to my name. That's the way I like to identify. But now there are other people claiming that they identify as people with little R's next to their name and their views are making it hard for me not to be embarrassed when I talk about my little R. And of course, it doesn't matter that those people are the vast, vast majority of the Republican Party. It just doesn't matter. It's not their party. It's our party. There are an astonishing number of people in my state who believe the election was stolen, said one Republican senator who requested anonymity to talk about the growing popularity of conservative conspiracy theories at home. Republican senators say they are alarmed at how many Republicans, including those with higher levels of education and income, buy the unsubstantiated claims that the last presidential election was stolen. Look at that. Even the rich and educated Republicans have figured it out now. A second Republican senator who spoke with the Hill said the growing strength of radical populism, quote, makes it a lot more difficult to govern. It makes it difficult to talk to constituents. So the people wanting policy that serves the people in government makes it hard for our representatives to talk to the people. That's what's being said. It makes it difficult to govern. Well, on whose behalf are you governing? Those citizens are the answer to that question, or they're supposed to be. There are people who surprise me. I'm surprised they have those views. It's amazing to me the number of people, the kind of people who think the election was stolen, the lawmaker said. I don't want to use this word, but it's not just a redneck thing. It's people in business, the president of a bank, 
a doctor. And isn't that strange? All of these people who I guess are just completely connected to the central narrative think that all of this stuff really is some deranged QAnon conspiracy theory that no one of any intelligence believes. They were able to attempt to marginalize these viewpoints and make it so that no one took the viewpoint seriously, except people did take those viewpoints seriously. And when more quote unquote serious people begin to be exposed to those viewpoints, they realize pretty quickly, oh yeah, 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 yeah. those guys are, uh, those guys are definitely right. And these people saying things like big lie and violent insurrection and very deadly pandemic. Yeah, those are the stupid people. Those actually are the stupid people. Yeah, we've seen those people lying to us forever about virtually everything. And they don't even have a problem admitting that they don't care about the views of their constituents. So, yeah, of course they're lying. What happens when the people in power realize that they are opposed by other people in power? And it's not just random citizens riding around in a Segway cart at Walmart. It's presidents of banks and entrepreneurs and captains of industry. It's historians and intellectuals and mathematicians. It's the military. It's doctors. It's nurses. It's everybody all across society. They are all figuring it out. You can't marginalize it anymore. Isn't that so sad. Senate Republican whip John Thune pushed back on calls to defund the Justice Department, telling reporters, are we going to get rid of the Justice Department? No, I think defunding is a really bad idea. Oh, who cares, John? Thune later explained to The Hill, there are seasons, swings back and forth in politics, and we're in one now where the dominant political thinking is more populist with respect to national security, foreign policy, and some domestic issues. But he said, quote, that stuff comes and goes, and it's built around personalities, alluding to the broadly held view that Trump's election to the presidency in 2016 and his lasting influence over the party has put his brand of populism at the forefront. And don't you get it? It's just a season. If we get rid of Trump, then we can get rid of the populism. And once we get rid of the populism, we can go back to business as usual in Washington, D.C., where we govern at the behest of whatever foreign entity controls that place and those politicians rather than the people in the states. And no article about rhinos would be complete without hearing from the number one Romney himself, Mitt Romney. And I'm referencing an old joke that I used to make back in the days of high noon. We had commies and then, of course, maskies and vaxies. But we also had Obamis, which are the uniparty left communists and Romneys with an IE. That's the uniparty right communists. And so, of course, Mitt Romney is the number one Romney. It has nothing to do in this case with Ronna Romney McDaniel. Asked about efforts to erase Trump's impeachment record, Senator Mitt Romney quoted the popular show Succession. He says, Logan Roy made a good point. These are not serious people. And Mitt Romney says that as a rhino trader to America and a senator who is quoting an HBO show to explain why he doesn't have to listen to the citizens of Utah, you know, like a serious person. Now, you might be thinking after listening to all of this, come on, isn't some of that a bit outlandish, a little crazy? It can't all be like this. The world cannot be the way you describe it, can it? 
And the answer is, of course it can. Once you ignore the default explanations that everyone always reverts to to explain everything, you realize that there is a whole world of ideas out there that you can engage with. And you might find that upon careful examination, some of those ideas actually map on to the objective empirical reality far better than the default explanations and the things we are told from authority must be true. I mean, consider that we just read a mainstream media article where the element of critical importance in that article is that the view of the vast majority of Republicans and voters in the Republican Party should be ignored because their views are inconvenient to the people they supposedly elect. Yet another indirect admission that the election results do not accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter. And if you are familiar with the default explanations, you would recognize that John Thune just gave one of those. This is just a swing on the political pendulum, and soon it will go back the other way. You see, what we're going to do is remove Trump and then imprison all his supporters, and at that point, the country will reject populism because they have absolutely no choice. And so we don't need to deal with populism. We will just tell you once again, this is just a fringe movement, despite the fact that it does represent the vast, vast majority of the Republican Party and, you know, independents and some other people. But if all you pay attention to is the central narrative, you might never know that. Except here's the thing. Americans actually do agree with us and more Americans agree with us every day. And we are now at the point where most Americans agree with us about most things. This is Mark Mitchell from Rasmussen on War Room this morning. Check this out. The theme that we've been hammering on is the failing trust in our institutions and leadership in D.C. is one of the places that Americans are losing trust. Uh, One of the questions we've asked many times over the years is, does the federal government today have the consent of the governed? And only one in four American voters say yes. It's 25 percent and 59 percent say no. Not one single demographic of Americans say that the federal government has the consent of the governed except for one demographic, and that's Joe Biden's strong supporters. And with them, it's only 47% to 34, but just across the board, Democrats, 36 to 47, Republicans, 18 to 74, and independents, 20 to 58%. Now that is astounding. I believe he said only 29% of the respondents to that poll think that the American government has the consent of the governed. I mean, that basically means we don't have a government. And of course, we, in many senses, don't have a government. Our government is entirely illegitimate, even beyond the fact that it might, in fact, be a foreign entity. These people are not there legally or according to the rules and laws that govern elections. It's insane that we still give our consent to be governed and live under the rules that all of these illegitimate officials have set up. I didn't agree to be the subject of an international regime. And I imagine that our friends in the sovereign citizen movement would say that my parents sold me to the international regime. But nonetheless, I do not consent. And Americans understand that the government is not governing with the consent of the people. That is an insane situation. Now, Bannon points out that the government does not only count our elected officials in D.C., 
but it also includes that Leviathan, the administrative state, the deep state, this massive unelected bureaucracy that is what actually controls everything, while the elected quote unquote representatives are mere figureheads who exist to do the job at the behest of others and then tell us why what they're already doing and what they want to do is actually on our behalf. So it's not just that Americans don't consent to be governed by the quote unquote elected representatives. They don't consent to be governed by any of it. There was a big feature in the New York Times about Donald Trump wanting to centralize the government and coalesce power under the presidency when he comes back. And that's supposed to be a big problem. And they frame it as a big problem. But what he really wants to do is eliminate the deep state bureaucracy, all of that administrative state. And if you are the regime, that is where you place your trust is in that administrative state, because that dilutes the president's power and ties the president's hands, makes it so the country must be governed by the rules of these unelected bureaucrats. That was certainly not how the founders intended. Donald Trump is trying to bring it back to that point. It's not about getting more power for himself as president. It's about returning power to where it belongs. People who can be held accountable, not the unelected administrative state. And Mark Mitchell goes on. I think there's three pieces here. And the biggest, most salient piece is that these institutions are failing and Americans know it because the numbers that we've talked about, where 64 percent of voters think that the FBI has become politically weaponized and almost 60 percent of voters agree that the stuff that the Department of Justice is doing is similar to a banana republic. Uh, you know, those are the most obvious and salient numbers. And then you look at congressional leaders and they don't have great favorability. Uh, it's not good, but it's not absolutely horrible. The issue is that for some reason they get down there and people get frustrated that nothing changes and they don't do anything. And one of these other questions supports it. Whom does the average congressman listen to the most, party leaders in Congress or the voters he or she represents? And two thirds of voters think that congressmen are listening to the party leaders and not themselves. Only 19 percent think they're listening to the representatives. And again, that one's just across the board, every single demographic, even the Joe Biden strong supporters. Uh, think that that's the case. So there's something that happens down in D.C. when people send their leaders down there and the administrative state issues don't seem to get fixed. It's strange what happens down there in Washington, D.C., huh? What's up with that place? Well, I wonder if Joe Biden is going to be able to name the judges down there and if Donald Trump is going to be tried down there for whatever crimes he's about to be indicted for that he just announced. And at what point do all those child-brained villagers begin to realize that Donald Trump is just the boy who cried indictment? I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!